the strange and bewildering day we call Easter Sunday. All of the Bible, all of the church, all of Christianity hinges on this day, on this story. Easter, resurrection out of death into life. If this story were not in the Bible, we would have thrown them away a long time ago, or we would have let them collect dust in the corner. If the Bible tells us nothing else but this, then it is enough. Easter. It's the one day when the hopes of the past are made manifest in the present. It's a day in church unlike many other Sundays in the year. Because on Easter, our pews are filled with those deeply rooted in their faith. With those who are filled with questions and those who still have doubts. So what does one like me say on a day like today? How might I reach each of you where you are in your faith? What can I possibly say to you? The truth. He is risen. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Graveside funerals make me very, very nervous. If we have a funeral here in the sanctuary, most of the things can be taken care of. We can set the right temperature. We can make sure the parking lot is empty. We can celebrate the many ways in which God has moved through the person now dead. But when you're at the graveside, everything is out of your control. You might be driving through sunshine with the funeral procession, but the minute you hit the cemetery, the clouds roll in and the rain begins to fall. You might have your Bible open to a particular passage like Psalm 23. And you're ready to read it to those who are grieving, <clears throat> and the wind will blow, and all of a sudden you're in the middle of Leviticus. <clears throat> or, as has happened to me far too many times, you'll be standing over the casket with dirt in your hands, ready to ask the family to remain silent for one final moment to say goodbye to their beloved friend. And then in the distance, all you can hear is a cow mooing on a distant farm. Cemeteries are often in the strangest places. I've buried people in perfectly manicured military compounds in which you can never be lost because there is always a soldier ready to show you your way out. I've buried people in cemeteries in the middle of residential neighborhoods next to a playground, next to a dairy farm. I've even buried someone's ashes in their friend's backyard. And because these happen in strange places, they're often very difficult to find. Years and years ago, there was a young pastor, new in town, who got a call from the local funeral home, and they said, Preacher, we need you to do this man's funeral. He was a vagrant, he had no family, no friends, and we need you to do it. Here is the address of the cemetery. The young man, the young pastor had no one to speak to about the funeral. He literally knew nothing about the man. He didn't even know the man's name. Nevertheless, he wrote a sermon. He put together an order of worship, and when the day arrived, he got in his car, he plugged in the destination into his phone, and he started driving toward this cemetery out in the middle of nowhere. And he drove, and he drove, and he drove, and he couldn't find it. So he tried typing in the address one more time, and sure enough, he couldn't find it. He stopped at a local 7-Eleven, and he said, hey, can you help me find the cemetery? And the person said, what cemetery? 
And so he drove and he drove, and finally he arrived an hour late. An hour late. And as he was driving over this barren landscape, he was looking for the hearse, but the hearse was long gone. He saw the bathtub that had dug the freshly now moved earth, the hole, and he saw a group of men resting in the shade of a tree nearby. So he got out of his car, he solemnly walked to the edge of this grave, and he looked inside, and he was so ashamed. Because there they had already placed the top on the casket. There was already dirt sprinkled on top. He was an hour late. He didn't know what to do, so he figured he should just do the funeral anyway. So he pulled out his sermon, he pulled out his Bible, his hymnal, and he preached the best sermon of his life. I mean, clenched fists held high in the air, tears streaming down his face. Had you been there, you would have recommitted yourself to Jesus three times. <laughs> and he preached, and he preached, and he preached, and finally, with his hands in the air, he said, Amen. And he walked back to his car, and he saw the men still resting in the shade, and he gave a polite little wave as if to say, I'm sorry, thank you. And right before he opened his car door, he heard one of the men say to the other ones, Y'all know I ain't seen nothing like that, and I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. <laughs> the thing I love most about that joke is it takes like 10 seconds for everybody to finally get it. <laughs> Today, of course, is Easter, but it's also April Fool's Day. <laughs> this is the first time that both days have fallen on the same day in 62 years. For months, I've been reading articles, and I've been talking with my pastor friends, and they've all expressed the same thing. You've got to use humor on Easter. I mean, how can you pass up an opportunity like this? Once every 62 years, April Fool's Day, the resurrection. And of course, Easter is the greatest joke ever told. It's a joke God tells on the devil. But to trivialize this day, it does a disservice to the truth of what happens in the empty tomb. It belittles the death of Jesus to graveyard jokes about septic tanks. It makes the resurrection optional instead of essential. The resurrection is no joke. If God didn't raise Jesus from the dead, if the resurrection isn't real, then we are wasting our time here this morning. It's as simple as that. The resurrection of Jesus from the grave is the vindication of all of his teaching. It's what makes all sermons and stories intelligible. It is the light in our darkness. It is the way when we follow the way. Without the resurrection, we have no business loving our neighbors or even our enemies. Without the resurrection, it would be absurd to teach children to turn their cheeks. Without resurrection, the whole of the New Testament falls apart. Because the world will not recommend ever doing any of this Christian kind of stuff. It is strange and bizarre to give clothes to those who are naked. It is weird to feed those who are hungry. It is strange to befriend the friendless. We do these things as Christians not because God tells us to, not because it's the right thing to do. We do them because God raised Jesus from the dead. 
The empty tomb is everything. It's funnier than any joke. It's more serious than any death. It is more majestic than the tallest mountain. It is deeper than the deepest valley. It is everything. Without the resurrection, I have nothing to say. Without the resurrection, nothing we do makes any sense. He is risen. The three most important words you might ever hear in your life, they changed and they continue to change everything. They are the three words that were handed to Paul, that Paul gave to the Corinthians, and eventually the three words that were handed to us. Uh, some of you know, not all of you, some of you know that I have a long-standing tradition that on Good Friday every year, I come to the sanctuary, I take this cross, I put it on my back, and I walk around our tent. Now, this is my first year as a pastor of Cokesbury, but I've done this for four years at my last church. Every Good Friday, get the cross, walk around town. And I started this tradition because I was just disappointed with how often we've relegated our crosses to altars and, and rafters and churches. It's like, yeah, we can encounter the death of Jesus when we're in church, but we don't want to have to worry about that Monday through Saturday. We might have it on our necklace. We might have it tattooed on our wrist. But the cross, we can leave the cross in the church. So on Good Friday, I try to turn it upside down. And on Friday, it was no exception. I came here on Friday morning. I grabbed that cross. I put it on my shoulder. I walked out those doors and across our parking lot over toward Route 1. For the first 30 minutes that I carried the cross on Friday, it was like I was invisible. And friends, I was carrying a giant cross on my back. I was anything but invisible. But every time I passed someone on the sidewalk, when I would try to look them in the eye, they averted their gaze. When I'd see a car pull up to an intersection and I'd wave, they would pretend like they didn't see me at all. I felt completely invisible. And so it was about 30 minutes into the walk, I was going north up Route 1, a car pulled up next to me, traveling quite slowly, and I looked in, and I could see a father with his young daughter. And they looked at me, and they pulled in front of me, and they parked in a convenience store parking lot right next to me, turned around so they were facing me, and they got out of the car and started walking. And I thought, yes! Fun! An opportunity has presented itself! I will share the gospel! I will transform their lives! Thank you, God! Thank you, God! I'm not invisible anymore! And they kept coming closer and closer, and I started thinking in my head, what am I going to say? What part of the story should I share with them? Should I tell them about the time he walked on the water? Or about the time he fed the 5,000? Should I tell them the Easter story? I mean, I was getting excited. And as the, the father came closer and closer, I could see in his eyes this deep need for clarity. Just this yearning, this hunger, this thirst for something. And so when he stood before me, he said, Sir, may I ask you a question? And I said, yes, my son, ask away. What would you like to know? And he said, do you know where the post office is? <laughs> I mean, all black, okay? From my head to my toes. I'm carrying that cross. And he wanted to know where the post office is. And I said, well, yeah, sure, you go back three blocks, it's on your life. He said, in fact, it's right across the street from my church. So I kept walking. Kept walking. About 20 minutes later, you know, a few people honk their horns as if to be 
He supported. A couple people rolled their windows down and they said, Amen, all that good stuff. But about 20 minutes after that first incident, uh, I saw a car traveling the other direction on Route 1, and they started to slow down as they got near me, and I looked over, and it was a car full of young teenage girls. And they all rolled their window down, and they were all staring at me. So the driver did a quick U-turn, and they pulled up right next to me. They stopped in the middle of Route 1. They all began to lean out of their windows, and they started taking pictures. <laughs> so I tried to smile, as one does with a cross. And as they pulled off, I heard one of the girls say, I'm going to put him on my Instagram. <laughs> so after walking for about an hour, I felt like it was probably time to come back to church. I turned around, I started making my way back. I thought about the interactions I had. I wondered if this really meant anything to anyone. If they saw the cross and thought about Jesus and what he was willing to do for them, I wondered if people even knew what I was doing at all. And right before I got back, while I was still on Route 1, I saw a young man, probably about my age, running, running toward me. He was in full exercise gear, he had these huge headphones on, and the music must have been good because he was kind of running like this, you know? And he kept getting closer and closer, and I thought, surely he's just going to run past me. He's got things to do, I've got things to do. But he came right in front of me, and he stopped. He looked at the cross, he looked at me. And then he kind of gave me these double finger salutes. He winked at me. He did kind of this noise. And he said, he is risen. And then he kept running. And over the last few days, I haven't been able to rid myself of that memory of that guy looking at me, winking, and saying, he is risen. Because he said it like it was a joke. Like it was the most trivial thing in the world. He is risen. No, he is risen. It's the most powerful three words sentence you can ever hear. It is not a joke. And I have not been able to stop thinking about it. Because the resurrection is a reminder that we can never go back the same way we can. Those words, he is risen, they are at the beginning of a change. They are a witness to God's unending love. They are mercy and grace and life. He is risen. It shatters the world under our feet. It is deeply disruptive. It changes everything. Even now, Easter is the totality of the good news. It is the good news. The story of the empty tomb, it reshaped Paul's life completely. It reshaped mine. I hope it has reshaped yours as well. Because on Easter, we celebrate the great power and the great mercy of God. In Easter, we see how God could take something like a cross, a sign of death to the world, and turn it upside down to be a sign of life. On Easter, God transformed the tomb in the same way he did on Christmas in a virgin's womb. God made a way where there is no way. On Easter, God changed the world. And friends, it only took three words. He is risen. So come. Come and taste and see the goodness of God in the bread and the cup. Listen for the truth of salvation in the songs we sing. Witness the power of Easter in the people in the pews next to you. Hear the good news, the very best news, the three most important words you will ever hear in your life. He is risen. Hallelujah.
I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.